0: we actually are entitled and receive quarterly financial statements from our tenant. So they have to keep giving us their financial picture, which allows our credit team to not only look at their historical financials, but look at it on a quarterly basis while we own it.
1: Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, is a dynamic multifamily investor syndicator with a portfolio valued at over $20 million and growing. Join her on her journey as she shows you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here is your host, Linda Brooks.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast. I'm Linda Brooks, your host, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I also want to thank and commend you for making the all-important decision to learn more about how to become an educated passive investor in the commercial real estate market. Today, our guest is Neil Walgren. Neil brings nearly two decades of leadership in operations and capital markets, having raised over $250 million in equity for real estate investments. Chief Operating Officer of MAG Capital Partners. He is instrumental in the success of the organization as it stands today. Prior to joining MAG Capital Partners, he led a Bay Area real estate investment firm, closing several hundred million in projects. In early years, Mr. Walgren logged over 2,500 flight hours, piloting the C-130 in the Air Force and Navy. Thank you for your service. Absolutely. Following combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan, he concluded his military career as a lieutenant commander. Neil now resides with his wife and son in San Francisco, where they enjoy flying and sailing. He holds a bachelor's of science from the Air Force Academy, an MBA from the Texas A&M University, and a master's of science from Troy University. Welcome, Neil, and thank you so much for joining today. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
2: You have an impressive background, and can I just say, as an army person, if I had it to do all over again, I'd be a pilot in the Air Force. I just want
0: <laughs> <that>. <laughs> quick aside. My, my dad was in the Marines way back when, and he's like, "If you want to join, you can," but he's like, "Just don't, don't join the Marines because we get all the Navy's hand me downs." So <laughs> he's like, should, Air Force gets the new stuff, so
2: <laughs> and Army gets everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Neil. Tell me, how did you get into real estate after being a lieutenant commander in the military?
0: Yeah, well, I'd switched from the Air Force full-time to kind of a part-time role in the Navy Reserve, still flying. And kind of in the meantime, I was starting to work into really where I wanted to land on the private sector. And I knew I wanted something that had, you know, really equity potential. And I love the idea of not just like earning a wage, but also kind of investing, whether that be something direct like real estate or my first, actually, first little gig was a working at a startup and had stock options and ultimately everything this idea of getting a salary and potentially having ownership in this company that could make it or not. And unfortunately, like nine out of 10 startups, it was on the not side that we ran out of funding. But it kind of lit off a spark in my head around really liking this idea of owning something that potentially can work and make you wealthy without being directly tied to the hours you're putting into it. And shortly thereafter, had the opportunity to join a commercial real estate equity focused company and that was based down in the bay area and ultimately that company was great ended up getting to connect with them and ultimately learning the tricks of the trade of uh, partnering you know on a JV basis with different real estate brokers and developers Basically, guys who could put together a solid business plan, but lacked the access to and really investor capital and investor equity. So our company effectively had a relationships with a number of investors. We would pool those investors together to effectively fund projects on a deal by deal basis.
2: Oh, OK. I see. So from there, how did you get into the MAG? capital. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So really after about three or four years, I had the chance to see a bunch of different business models, see a bunch of what I found to be more important, a bunch of different sponsor teams executing on those business models and realized over time and kind of seeing what deals went well, what deals went less well, that the team behind the business model is far more important than deal itself. Mm -hmm. And after working with about eight different teams, doing multiple projects. One of them was Mag Capital. And I really connected with the owners, two younger guys. We just really saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And they had just an excellent skill set in seeking out, putting together fantastic deals. And they realized I had a talent for effectively communicating that proposition to investors and aligning, really aligning interests in a way that I could raise money effectively and ended up being able to join them full-time. And I'm the COO now at Mag Capital overseeing capital markets, so both investor equity and debt, effectively lining up the cash to pay for the properties that we get under contract.
2: So the properties that you all fund are you all also the operators or do you fund properties for other operators and take, say, a GP or a debt position in that investment?
0: We only fund our own projects. So everything is is 100% self-managed. We are a kind of a full service, vertically integrated investment group.
2: Okay. So let's talk about your projects, your deals, yeah. your investments. What type of assets do you all invest in?
0: We have a very specialized focus point on single tenant net leased, which is triple net industrial real estate. So we're buying effectively kind of big, ugly square buildings in the Midwest that have really operationally effective cash flowing manufacturing tenants producing mostly core industrial products. And that can range everything from a lot of parts manufacturers. We have automotive, we have aerospace, we have fluid system dynamic manufacturers for electric vehicles. We have large industrial mixers and dryer producers that sell to General Mills and General Electric and even uh, frozen food manufacturers, organic baby food manufacturers. I mean, really, the range is, is almost limitless. Effectively, most things that we as consumers see are produced in these industrial buildings or assembled in another building that buys parts from one of the buildings that we own. And that's a lot of the behind the scenes type of production and industry that really makes America work the way it does.
2: Now, how did you all get into this very niche asset class?
0: I can't take credit for it. Uh, really, the two founders, they both of them have about 35, 40 years combined commercial real estate brokerage experience. And they've both over, over the years really narrowed down on understanding the single tenant, net lease model. And that asset class has kind of shifted just as as asset classes ebb and flow over the years. But really they saw an opportunity in that space with industrial, seeing, hey, this asset class potentially has a lot of value and runway ahead of it, especially with a lot of the shift to e-commerce. A lot of the reshoring of bringing manufacturing jobs back from overseas back to the States. Really a lot of increasing demand on a really a limited supply of industrial buildings. And they started buying kind of an early 2015. It's been a great market. I think between that and multifamily have been the top one and two asset classes for commercial over the last four or five years.
2: Nice. Now, single tenant net lease model. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like, I don't know what it means, but for the yeah. listeners, they're going, sure, the single sure. tenant. the single tenant part is self-explanatory, but yeah. the single tenant net lease, what does that mean?
0: To boil it down, mm-hmm. I'll compare it to maybe a more familiar asset class of multifamily. So in multifamily, you're handling your income, which is going to come from rents, largely rents, and you're setting different rental points for different units. And then you have a lot of expenses that Expenses can be direct expenses like utilities, it can be indirect ones like vacancy, it can be improvements, property management, and income minus expenses gets you net operating income. Our model is much simpler. We effectively remove all the expenses and we put all that responsibility directly on the tenant. So a net lease, otherwise known as a triple net lease, is a lease with your tenant where they pay rent. And they also pay all their own expenses. So they pay their property taxes directly. They pay their insurance directly. They pay their own utilities and they actually take it another level and they pay all their building maintenance. If they even need a new roof, they pay for it. New paint, they pay for it. New pavement, new landscape, new anything. They want extra room. They can expand extra 20,000 feet. No problem. They approve it with us, but they pay for it. So the nature of the structure gives them full operational control of the building they're occupying, but also all of the expense responsibility. And we have a very predictable set of cash flow coming from that rent.
2: So for you, the income is rent. Correct. Are there any additional fees that you collect, like common area maintenance fees or...
0: We don't have any property management. We do have a small asset management fee because really the ongoing, there's a little financial costs on our end, but the biggest ongoing... Really, responsibility we have is not really in directly relating to the needs and wants of the tenant because they pay for them themselves. Um, really, on these projects, the main risk comes from the credit of the tenant. So, mm-hmm. we are effectively doing a ton of research up front to say, "Hey, do we feel really good about the strength of this tenant's ability to a stay in business and b pay the rent?" Right. I mean, ultimately, that's what I care about. And we do a deep dive in their historical financials, where they're at today, kind of where we think they're going to go in the next few years. We build out a lot of that credit analysis, which is really a key part of that investment thesis to say, hey, here's the structure of what we project from this investment. And here's the risk. And the risk is anchored by this tenant's credit financials. And what's interesting about this kind of uniquely as an asset class is... During the hold period, typically four or five years, we actually are entitled and receive quarterly financial statements from our tenant. So they have to keep giving us their financial picture, which allows our credit team to not only look at their historical financials, but look at it on a quarterly basis while we own it. And that way we can see any issues while they're still small. We can see trends, we can start conversations early. And if we do see business maybe, Pivoting and deviating in a direction we don't necessarily like, we can modify our business plan and say, "Well, we were planning on holding this five years. The credit's weakened a little bit. We might plan to sell a little bit early, cut any losses, be able to return capital. No, maybe not quite hit the the home run we were hoping for, but if you can return capital and reinvest that and live another day, I mean, from an investment lifetime, that's an absolute win. Still,
2: it is, and you are able to. I guess, collect the financial information because it's just a single tenant that you Correct. have. And so, okay, that Absolutely. makes a total sense. So let's talk about it from the investor's perspective, right? Sure. You have investors that invest in these deals. Apparently it's pretty appealing to those investors because you all are doing well. But what <laughs> does that look like from the investor perspective? So for example, what's the minimum investment that you generally accept? How long is the holding period? What's yeah. the cycle of the deal?
0: So, our minimums are 50,000. On the first investment, we're fine doing half that. So, 25K kind of get started, get comfortable with the team is more than okay. And then, really, we have the investment summary, kind of look it over, very similar to most other deals you might find. But some of the unique parts of this are once you invest and once we take ownership, the cash flow starts immediately. And we do typically monthly distributions, and we're able to do that because it's fully occupied, right? It's a performing asset from day one, the tenants in place, they're paying rent from day one there. And typically the cash on cash, the yield while we hold the project is typically between about 8 to 10% a year. So you can expect to get that divided into monthly installments very predictably. And then that lease actually has annual increases. So every year or every other year, those distributions on a monthly basis will increase as the rent goes up to the tenant. And then the second piece of income is the profit distribution at sale. So we create value in a number of ways with the project, both contractually and through more predictable ones like paying down principal on the debt, increase in NOI through those rent bumps. Ultimately, we build up appreciation and profits in the project. And when we sell three, four or five years down the road, we return that original investment amount and then all profits left over, we do a profit distribution, which is usually fairly sizable, such that with that profit piece and the monthly distributions, we've typically historically been able to deliver between about 15 to 20% annualized returns.
2: Nice. So the whole period for this asset class with MAG Capital is three to four years, or is it the five to seven years you typically see in multifamily?
0: Yeah. Most deals, I mean, historically, we usually target around five. Honestly, the the asset class has done well over the last few years. If we can deliver year five returns after three or four years, we'll take it, right? I mean, we our business model is around, I call them doubles and triples. We're not swinging for the fences to use a baseball analogy. We're looking for really, I mean, just limited risk, decent cash return deals that can outperform the market have very limited downside in both understanding your tenant's credit and have all that backed by a hard asset being that real estate. With that, we feel that the downside has a very nice floor to it. And there's very predictable nature of having income backed by the predictability of a triple net lease. you know, you have no expense surprises. The tax assessor, they can double your tax abatement. Okay. (laughs) That's on the tenant, right? Your insurance guy can come and double your insurance premiums. That's no issue for us. That's on the tenant. All these surprises that can happen, that operational risk falls on the tenant. So we as an owner and investor group really have a relatively low risk set of predictable income. And that's really what we structure these investments around.
2: Have you had any instances where tenants have defaulted and then you have this industrial asset that's vacant? And if so, does it stay vacant long?
0: Yeah. Well, we've been very fortunate. In our seven-year history, we've never had a tenant default. We've never lost investor capital, just really had a, a strong set of performing assets. I think the only the only missed rent we had was a communicated one right at the start of COVID. We had 21 out of 22 of our properties, had industrial manufacturers, were producing, delivering on time, paying rent, no problem. The one exception was a single tenant health club, So they, of course, were (laughs) forced closed. And we worked out a 90-day basically forbearance on the rent due. We worked out a similar arrangement with our lender. And they said, all right, we can basically hit the pause button for 90 days on the mortgage. And after about half that time, they were allowed to reopen. They were in the Midwest. So Iowa had a much smaller shutdown period. They were allowed to reopen and uh, reopen strong. And ultimately... Ended up at a better spot than pre-COVID. They bought a few of their competitors up. And ultimately, I think everyone in that deal will end up making more money than originally projected. So ended up being a win-win. And we were happy being landlords to be able to work with them, that consideration, because honestly, it was totally out of their hands. But in general, the manufacturing side tends to be... I would say looked upon favorably from a regulatory standpoint from host cities, states, and counties, just because you need that production to happen to kind of keep the gears of commerce running in this country.
2: That's true. So your opportunities, are they open to both non- and accredited investors?
0: They are, yeah. We raise money through Regulation D mm-hmm. under what's called 506 Bravo. That allows us to have both accredited and unaccredited investors. Excellent. Excellent. One caveat with that is we have to have a relationship with the person first. So if anyone is interested, reach out to either Linda or myself and we can kind of walk you through the steps on that.
2: Absolutely. Oh, you'll be given your contact information. (laughs) And then you talked about being in the Midwest. Are there certain states, cities, markets that you target or Anywhere in the general Midwest.
0: If I could run a rope between Michigan and South Texas, I swear, within about a thirty-mile range of that, I feel like everything we buy is. But no, I mean, it just it tends to be good for two reasons. The first is just from a geographical standpoint. When you're making stuff, produce when you're a producer and you're shipping to the country, being centrally located makes sense, and that's drives a lot of that reason. The second is land is cheaper, and ultimately. We as investors seek out cash flow anchored by solid credit tenants. And we're able to find a better balance of that in those Midwest markets where paying less for the land and more for the real estate and the tenant behind it. And that produces more cash flow than, say, buying in a coastal market like LA or Miami.
2: Gotcha. And you all don't build the buildings, you find buildings that are available and acquire those, correct?
0: Yes and no. Okay. Primarily, we're buying existing real estate. However, we do have a GC component on staff. And one of our absolute favorite, favorite, favorite... I mean, it's better than Christmas is when we have a great tenant, they're performing, they're growing. They're typically on a lot of excess land. And sometimes they come to us and go, listen, we're out of room. Our sales are going through the roof. We've had this a number of times over the last few years. And they go, we need to grow. And we say right here, we can help you. And that point, it becomes more of a partnership rather than a landlord-tenant relationship. We'll work with them, find their needs, spec out additional square footage, and we can have the control to actually oversee that development ourselves. Quite often, we're able to finance the bulk of that from our existing lender, or maybe just a little bit of extra equity from our investors. And when that happens you almost always will have a effectively pre-negotiated set of terms for when that's done. So imagine you have almost no lease up risk at the end of your development. It's pre-signed. It just ends up being a win-win for all parties. Your tenant is getting the space they need. Your investors are getting typically almost no dilution from having to raise extra money. And then you end up really producing a ton of value. So everybody ends up seeing outsized returns and it's a, our favorite scenarios when they happen.
2: That is excellent. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. Thanks. It's always fun when everything kind of lines up together.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, this is a unique asset class. It sounds like you guys are really just knock it out the park. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about this asset class or even interested in learning about future opportunities that you might have?
0: Yeah, you can start off, uh, learn a little bit on our website. It's www.magcp, that's for magcapitalpartners.com or just shoot me a note. My email is Neil, that's N-E-I-L, like Neil Diamond at magcp.com. Awesome.
2: Awesome. And we'll be talking offline once we wrap up also. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Neil. Appreciate you sharing all your insight. Congrats again on all your success and definitely look forward to connecting with you in the not
0: too distant future. Me as well. And thank you for having me on.
2: My pleasure indeed. We are so glad that you were able to join us today. If the first two listeners that contacts me on the website, multifamilyinvestorladies.com, mentioned that you enjoyed the unique asset class and conversation with Neil. I'll go ahead and send you a free gift to get your real estate investing opportunities and ventures started. Thank you all for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating on your favorite listening platform. And if you like what you hear, find it helpful, and want to learn more, go ahead and hit subscribe. To learn more about investment opportunities and join the Multifamily Investor Ladies community, visit us on our website at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And remember, it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing with the Multifamily Investor Ladies. Thanks a mil for listening.
1: For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing or to reach Linda directly us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments. Your host, Linda Brooks, reminds you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investment journey, and she'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.